Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, Tennessee Power Hour time. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, David Reed, Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us today. Sarah Triplett, our production assistant, flat out getting, getting it done. Uh, we have plenty to hit over the next hour involving the Tennessee Titans. Uh, and shout out in Knoxville, where you can listen to us on Fan Run Radio and Fox Sports Knoxville. Appreciate that. Round of applause for those guys. You can chime in on Twitter and on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube. Just search us out, Outkick360. We hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. We were discussing Nick Saban's contract extension, and it ties in with the Titans as we kick off the hour talking Julio Jones and the trade, uh, where Mike Vrabel, I believe it was Albert Breer, Paul, who wrote in his column for Monday Morning Quarterback, that Vrabel spoke multiple times with Nick Saban, vetting and getting thoughts on the type of person Julio Jones was and what he would be like inside of a locker room and trying to get a feel for the type of individual they were trading for. I found that really interesting, that the multiple times conversation where you go back trying to make sure you're getting a guy that you, you think you know, but it goes back to Something Urban Meyer said in free agency, and a lot of people ripped him for, but he's, you can disagree with him on many things, and he can still make a, a solid point about the unknowns of free agency, not really getting to know a player. In this sense, you're trading for the type of guy you think he is, but you don't really know. And this is an example of, of Rabel having a relationship with Saban and trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's true. I mean... Uh I'm not asking, we're not asking for you to be sympathetic to NFL people whose job right, it is to right. get to know these guys. But you you can't recruit, um, not recruit, but you, it's not like a college guy. And, and without the combine, it was different for college guys and without the personal visits at, at uh, pro days. But when, when you're scouting for the draft, you get to really kind of interview a kid and get to know him. Well, you certainly did, even even still this year with, with Zooms. You know, you're getting multiple instances where you're face-to-face -face with a guy and getting, and getting to know him. They don't have that with a, with a regular free agent or, or with, a, with a trade guy. You're going a lot on reputation and on, on second-hand stuff. I imagine they talk to people beyond Nick Saban as well. Uh, sure. Arthur, Smith, Arthur Smith doesn't know Julio Jones well, but they're talking to Arthur Smith on some informal level about what what he knows about Although, Julio Jones and people who were on point, previous previous staffs with him. He was, I think, he was asked about weighing in on the Julio Jones trade, and Arthur Smith's public response was, "I I'm I don't worry about players I never coached." Yeah, which is a good answer. You know, like that's. That's an intriguing answer because I'm not sure Arthur Smith ever really got to know him. Yeah, probably not. Are, are there any concerns about um, he maybe could have played a couple of extra games a year ago, but because of everything going on with his contract and his situation moving forward, there's a lot of people in Atlanta who believe that 
he dogged it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a, that's a year what ago in those in those I nine games is that is that. Is that a concern considering the Titans' recent track record for guys not necessarily loving ball, even though we know Julio Jones, when happy, loves ball? Well, I think that's what they're sorting out. Listen, this last contract he got, we talked about it some yesterday. Uh, they had said they were going to revisit it, what, in 2019? I might have the years wrong. In 2019. That's right. Then he came in 2018 and he wanted something. And they ultimately found a way to give him some money in 2018. Then the deal he got in 2019, he wasn't really happy with. And they weren't really happy to be giving it to him. And so it's one of those situations where instead of uh, with a a new contract, both sides feeling like win-win, both sides felt like loss-loss and things got sour. And going back to last year, on top of the injuries, he he was also really tight with Dan Quinn. Julio Jones was. Yeah. And, so and whenever do... he was fired, the, the thought was Julio did not like that. And part of the Dan Quinn, you know, that maybe is part of why he was really tight with Dan Quinn or part of Dan Quinn, you know, getting in, in ingraining himself with Julio Jones was that there was a perception that Dan Quinn was soft with him in terms of the practice stuff and how often or not often he practiced. Um, for for it's hard to argue Atlanta. though with the, what he yeah, did with the production it, it is but also you know um, there is some management to be done in terms of what the rest of the team thinks and all of that not that you have to do it for the rest of the team but you have to manage the perceptions and, and all of that stuff and Mike Vrabel's been very good at doing that we've talked about that you know he's big into uh, you don't use the load management term, but that's basically yep. what it is. And he takes the foot off the gas gradually as the season goes on, down to the end of the season where you'll ask him some questions about about practice. And he'll say, I, I have to say, I don't really know. We're not really doing much. We're walking through a lot uh, because we've got to get guys to, to, to Sunday. So, Chad, I think your question's a fair one, but I think the expectation here is after they did their homework, after they watched what he was able to do when he was healthy, after they hear what they hear about him pushing through, that they think he'll be rejuvenated by the change of scenery. Uh, Some people I talk to who know him a little bit seem to think he's going to be eager to, to stick it in Atlanta's face, like, you guys think that I was taking a downturn or I'm close to done, I'll show you. Well, it's a good transition to the trio that the Titans now have because the trio is extremely tight between him, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown. Like I, him, him joining that group where he and Derrick, obviously from the same college, uh, different eras at Alabama, but work out together, okay. good friends. And then A.J. Brown looks at him as a mentor, as someone that – he views as the greatest of his generation, and now he's trying to come in behind Julio Jones and put up those same type numbers. Had a picture of him in his locker and looked at it and said, "Don't let uh, don't let Julio Jones outwork you today." As he headed out to to practice, um, so uh, you know, warmed up in a Julio Jones jersey in Atlanta a couple of years ago before. Uh, before the game, so a, a ton of uh, mutual respect there. Um, th- that trio, in terms of the respect, and the other thing about the mentorship kind of thing, Roddy White did a really good job mentoring Julio Jones. Julio Jones, I'm told, did a really good job setting standards and showing Calvin Ridley the way in Atlanta. So, in terms of those kind of relationships. 
I think Titans fans can accept expect Julio Jones to be uh, the, the, the tone setter guy, not just in how he goes out and plays on a Sunday, but in the locker room, in the meeting room, in, uh, in the individual periods of practice and all of that stuff. I think it's great to talk to Nick Saban. Um, it, it is different, you know, 10 years removed from his time, 10, 11 years removed from his time at Alabama, you know, what he's been as a pro. I do think Nick Saban's type of person will be completely honest with Mike Vrabel and John Robinson if, if they ask him a question about a player of his. So I, I believe Nick Saban believes the good things he had to say about Julio Jones. In, in terms of the malcontent part of this, with however you want to look at his last year with Atlanta, Julio Jones strikes me as the guy that as long as they're winning, it's not going to be a problem. I don't think that he's going to come in, and because you know A.J. Brown has more catches through four games, he's going to have an issue with that. I think it's more about scoring points and winning. What we've always said about this Titans team, and a year ago we said it a lot, at what point does it become an issue in the locker room if the defense is so bad? If the offense is so good, but the defense is so bad, it prevents you from winning when you should be winning, when does a divide start to happen? That's where I could see Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, anyone, just human nature getting upset with that side of the ball, which then comes back to have the Titans done enough defensively. It's a bunch of ifs well, about what you're, what you're waiting to see with that team, but that's the one that if, if there's anything that could tear apart this team or tear at the seams of what they're going to be, it's the offense being frustrated and upset with the defense for not doing enough and not pulling their And end. the Atlanta defense has not been good. The difference is their team's winning four games a year. Right. And the Titans are winning nine plus. That's the team he's headed to now. And with the trio that he joins, Paul, and you pointed this out at your website, paulkoharski.com, um, it's, it's an excellent group, and it's among the best, if not the best, in the NFL. So I went through the top three weapons for teams in the league, and this includes free agent movement, you know, so it's what's, what's to come. So take uh, the top three producers of yardage, mm-hmm. leaving out quarterbacks. So, you know, Lamar Jackson's not factoring into this with his running yardage. I'm looking at people who are lining up as the five eligibles. Your top three, what and what I did is I looked at 16 game projections. So if you played 14 games, you know, pro football reference will tell you based on those 14 games what you would have done in a 16 game schedule. And I looked at the last two years. So, you know, Justin Jefferson obviously only had one year of evidence. But so the la- based on the last two years, what you would have done over 16 games if you played 16 games based on what you did play. The Titans from Henry, Brown, and Jones would get 4,583 yards and 34 touchdowns. And from what I could find, there's only one team that had better than that. And only one team that had better than that um, might be a surprise to a lot of people. And it's really keyed around Christian McCaffrey's amazing year. Mm-hmm. And McCaffrey was hurt last year. Um, but it's... It's the Carolina Panthers with D.J. Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Robbie Anderson, who's 54-38 with 33 touchdowns. And then there are only a couple teams that are also over 4,000. Um, and, and the team that I thought automatically I, I would put in second place in terms of a trio is Minnesota. 
Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. Though yes. Thielen's production's actually been down, but they're at 42 38 with 38 touchdowns. And that's, those that's guys a really have missed games. Thielen, Thielen's missed a lot of games. And Dalvin and, Cook, too. And he's only at 860, but Cook's at 1978 by himself, so he's pretty damn close to Henry because you're adding, for the backs, I added up rushing yards and receiving. Do yards. you have New Orleans available? New Orleans, Thomas. Camara and their third is Murray, Latavius Murray, so a running back. They're at 40 49 with 27 touchdowns. I like two thirds of that. Yep. Two, two thirds of the legs of yeah, that one are tremendous. Really good. And that's it for over 4,000 yards. So they're right there. And I talked to personnel people with three teams, and they said basically all three said the same thing. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's better than Henry Brown and Jones. Well, and, and speaking of Julio joining the Titans, it's now Julio Jones, Henry in the backfield, of course, and he joins a wide receiving core with young Julio. I mean, even A.J. Brown's even wearing number 11. And the comparisons are due, and they are warranted, when you look at the first two years in the league for both wide receivers. Uh, Sarah Triplett, our production assistant, put this together. Here's the graphic that you can see the comparisons from 2011 and 2012 for Julio Jones to A.J. Brown's 2019 and 2020. Look how similar the stats are to one another. This is Julio and young Julio and what A.J. Brown has accomplished. If Julio Jones over the last decade has put up the numbers that are considered to be, and they are, the best of the decade, A.J. Brown is on pace with Julio Jones through his first two years of his career, and he now shares the field with him in an offensive media room with him. Um, that's remarkable yeah. at what A.J.'s done. Excellent. Yeah. Let's go one other place here, and you might have to correct me on my timetable uh, in terms of the running back that plugs in here. Okay. Are we not – we're not that far removed from a combination of something like – and tell me if I've got the wrong running back – Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp, and – Antonio Andrews? Uh, um, before DeMarco Murray, before they fixed the backfield. Was it Sean Green or was that before Antonio Andrews? I mean, Antonio Andrews was truly a horrific yeah. running back. Yeah, and Dexter McCluster. He was in the same running back group with him. All right, just think about that trio and this trio. That's like single A ball and... and uh, it's the 2014 roster. And is, all pro. Is what we need to be looking up, and we can actually... I'll, I'll find that. Yeah. 2014 Titans starting lineup. <laughs> um, I mean, you talk about uh, three was Kendall, Kendall Wright's last year. Uh, he was the star of the offense at the time. Kendall Wright. And I mean, Running back that year, starter was Bishop Sankey as a rookie. I mean, Bishop Sankey Brutal. was an uh, all-time terrible draft pick. Who else you see there? Bishop the Sankey, Justin Hunt, Hunter, Nate Washington, Kendall Wright, Delaney Walker. Yeah. I mean, that's not that bad, Nate Washington. It was Delaney's, what, second year uh, with yeah. the Titans? <laughs> uh, Antonio yeah. Andrews was on the roster. Antonio Andrews back. was on uh, uh, the Tennessee Titans roster. Just let that sink in. <laughs> Sean yeah. Green, Hutton, nailed it. I mean, you want a slow running roster. back collection? Those two guys are prime candidates right there, Sean Green and Antonio Andrews. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable how they've turned things around. And it, At skill positions. They it, had no skill. 
I, I, there was a period of time there where their skill positions were as we're talking about this trio potentially being the best trio in the league. There were time where they were legitimately the worst skill position team in the league, and it wasn't that long ago. Well, the key, the operative number here, the key number is two. With all the problems in the first round for John Robinson, Derrick Henry, second-round pick, A.J. Brown, second-round pick, and they get Julio Jones basically for a second-round pick and then a fourth-round pick the next year. Jacob, and that's, that's how they get that trifecta. Pull up the first graphic again and just comparing Julio to A.J. Brown, and then I'm going to compare this to the first two years since 1998 when Randy Moss entered the league. So here's what Julio Jones and A.J. Brown did in their first two years. Since 1998, and I just went back to Randy Moss's rookie season, this is where they line up. They're at the bottom at 13th and 14th overall. But look at the group of receivers that both Julio Jones and A.J. Brown joined with the impact they had offensively right out of the gate. Number one is Odell Beckham, who yeah. has done amazing things. Uh, uh, Randy Moss is second overall. Josh Gordon, Torrey Holt, A.J. Green. Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Evans, Marquise Colston, Amari Cooper, DK Metcalf, and Larry Fitzgerald. Those are the best first two seasons for a rookie and then a sophomore year in the NFL since 1998 where Randy Moss set the pace. And then Odell Beckham, when he came into the league, ripped it to shreds uh, with the numbers. But A.J. Brown and and Julio Jones did that too. And I'm only pointing that out to give credit to A.J. Brown, where, you know, the national narrative, the Titans just traded for a number one wideout. They have one. Yeah. Right? They, they now, they have, now two. have two. And that, that's the key in what the Titans have done structurally to go out and find an available, an available weapon, and not just a weapon, one of the best we've ever seen via trade. And by the way, just to, to touch back to the trio idea, yeah. everybody would automatically think Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City on big offense. Uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is in the mix here uh, for them last year on their top three. Their top three, 37-31, not, not in the conversation. Now, their fourth, fifth no, might, might be great the yep. way they spread it around. But 37, 31, and 28, they're, they're not up in the ballpark of the top threes that we talked about with uh, Carolina, Minnesota, Tennessee, New Orleans. What's also interesting about Kansas City is they're not in the top five for offenses that have scored the most touchdowns over the last two years. And that's the other portion of the trio that now makes this the, the, the foursome, the, the, the four horsemen with uh, Ryan Tannehill, right? And, and here the, the Titans lead the league. With 110, there's a graphic for this, 110 touchdowns scored over the last two seasons. This is on offense, offensive touchdowns only. Baltimore, Green Bay, New Orleans, Tampa, and Seattle have all reached over 100. The Titans lead the league in this category in reaching the end zone. This is going to be very interesting to see because um, Julio Jones, the one area where you could downgrade him, downscore him is touchdown. He's not been a big touchdown scorer over his career. Scores like five, six a year. Uh, you know, and this is a big, big thing for fantasy players, obviously. Yeah. You know, where do you draft Julio Jones? He, he, he averages 95 yards a game, but he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. Uh, the Titans have lost touchdowns with Corey Davis and Johnny Smith, obviously. And Johnny Smith, a great red zone target. You know, 
Now, I think if, if, a, uh, sorry, if Julio Jones gets you into the red zone, you've got a lot of guys that can finish down there, obviously, whether Julio Jones is a part of that or not. Derrick Henry's going to get you in from inside the five. Tannehill runs these boots and walks in untouched a lot of times. Mm-hmm. A.J. Brown can score touchdowns. Ferkser, you know, uh, can score touchdowns. And, and the Julio Jones, if he's scoring six touchdowns, is fine. But I wonder if he's more of a red zone threat in this offense based on need, based on play action, which the Titans run a lot of and the Falcons didn't. Um, so that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And I think in uh, I'm not big into the fantasy conversation, certainly not the fantasy conversation year round. But I wonder if fantasy players are anticipating that out of Atlanta, he's now much more of a red zone threat or if they think he's the same in terms of, of a touchdown threat. And I wonder what the market for him is rising or falling based on that. Uh, but I'm very curious to see what his touchdown number, if he plays 16, 17 games this year, uh, what it will be for a team that leads the league in touchdowns over the last, how long? Last two years. I, I, I just I put that in there because that's when Tannehill took over. Yeah, and you're taking out two guys that scored their fair share. My cousin who lives in Atlanta, big Falcons fan, sent uh, me a text saying, congrats to Nashville on Julio. Hopefully you can utilize him in the red zone better than the Falcons did. <laughs> that was his first response was, do something in the red zone with him because the Falcons could never figure it out. I, I was in the OutKick uh, uh, VIP thing last night, and I had a couple guys from Atlanta in there. And one of them was really, like, eager to wash his hands of Julio Jones. He, he, he was, like, tired i think there i think there is a uh, a malaise to the contract discussion that's been going on for and so also long. to the injuries like it's not just the games that he missed but the thing where he's on the injury report every single week injuries and you know uh, is he ready to play and, the, and how and the well losing and the losing i mean since they blew the the lead in the super bowl you know, they lose in the wild card round, I think it was, the next year to Leeds Philadelphia. There's an apathy to it, right, score, where you're like, what difference does it make if he's here or not? We love him, but... Let's go to what's next. Yeah, I mean, I think any if you're supporting a team that's been losing and the star player of that team is not happy and there's always talk about their contract and what to do with it, it wears thin. And you've got a new regime. You're, you're maybe in the... But that, that, that fan reaction goes back to my point yesterday. I, I'm still surprised the Titans were the only legitimate contender in this trade. That there was not a second and a third instead of a second and a fourth offered well, by another team. I wonder if Atlanta has any regrets about not doing this early. early. Like early, early. Like free Draft. agent period early. But it's because of the June thing. That's it. That, you know, so it wasn't going to be draft picks this but year. But you pointed out you can make an agreement and then make right, the move. Right, but you can make an agreement in March, but it still had to be executed after June. So it wasn't going to involve 2021 draft Current picks. So it's not going to help you in that regard. So they waited as long as they could past the June 1st deadline and made the move. Coming up, we discussed the jersey numbers, which uh, fans are really interest, interested in because – A.J. Brown wears 11. Julio wore 11 in Atlanta. What number is he going to wear with the Titans? A.J. saying he's keeping it Atla- A.J. 11. backed off. He was yeah, ready well, to give it up, but well, then he changed course. We'll, we'll discuss. We'll, we'll continue the discussion on what this means for A.J. Brown and the other receivers in the room with Julio Jones. That's next on the Tennessee Power Hour Outkick 360. Outkick 360 in the Tennessee Power Hour. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. If you're listening to the show via podcast, we appreciate that. We hope you'll leave a review 
and that you'll subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube as well, Outkick360. You subscribe, you ring the bell, you're alerted to every time we go live, noon Eastern across the Outkick network, and it will alert you to exclusive content we post to the YouTube channel. And we will have primary complaint tomorrow, and you can send us your complaint, 360 at outkick.com. Someone tweeted us and said they're new to the format, new to the show. How does primary complaint work? It's very simple. It's not a secondary complaint, not a third complaint. A primary complaint, whatever has you annoyed the most this week, give it to us in a minute or less. You could type it out. You can do audio only. You can do video. You can video something while talking. Get creative with it. Just send it to us at 360outkick.com, and we will have primary complaint tomorrow. Always a favorite of this show, especially when we have people... Giving us some outside complaints. Cannot wait. Primary complaint tomorrow, 1245 Eastern. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Julio can't complain that A.J. didn't try to offer up number 11. A.J. Brown says he's number 11 until he retires. He said he tweets out, I tried to give it up and he wouldn't take it. Respect with the, the handshake. So is Julio about to wear number eight? That's the anticipation uh, with the number he wore at Alabama. But... Outside chance at number one? Uh, well, retired. number one's retired. Uh, so he My would bad. have to, <laughs> have to make a phone call for that one. My to bad. the great Warren Moon, who, uh, and, and AJ said, AJ was. I think AJ say, would give that was, number up but, uh, quicker than uh, Warren Moon would. <laughs> AJ Brown was, I mean, he, he learned about Warren Moon in this offseason and said he after learning himself. about Warren Moon, he doesn't want number one. Unworthy, yeah. yeah. So. It's going to be uh, it's likely number eight. Yeah, I, I think it's number eight. I mean, this is uh, something that's really cool for the fans and for jersey sales more than anything else. This is if you love Julio Jones, you want to get a jersey. Oh, now I'm going to be wearing number eight. That's what you're going to find <laughs> out. Or, I mean, that's I don't. Uh, I think you guys are probably like me. I don't get overly into the numbers. I do get into the look of the uniform. Yeah. If there's going to be a change yeah. in uniform, I'm very into the way uniforms look. In critiquing uniforms, I am not obsessed with what number someone wears, like a lot of other people. Fan, big some fans are. They're going to spend their money on yeah. this. Again, way more. I get the obsession with uniforms with yeah, fans. Yeah. The uniform unveiling with the Titans is really cool. I like all of that. I like seeing mock-ups of what could happen with a uniform. I'll, look, I'll click and look at all that. Could not care less about what number someone wears. Just don't. I wonder uh, monetarily what this means for, you know, the, the the site traffic for like a Titans Pro Shop, or we know foot traffic's always pretty busy when they announce these new jerseys. But monetary value for trading for a guy like Julio, what that immediately means. Well, I wonder about the time lapse between them, uh, and they're apparently revealing this number today. The time lapse between them putting out on social media a picture of the jersey. Oh, I bet they have it. And them having the jersey at well, the pro shop. They had clowny jerseys the day they, the two days after they signed them. Because we did a live show out there and they had them available. They had just put them out right before we went live. Is there a time for this or they're just saying today? I saw somebody on Twitter saying that Gil Beverly said that they would say it today. So that's what I'm going on. And AJ's number 11. So everyone that's bought an AJ Brown jersey, you're good. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Um, what does this mean for Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath that they join? Not, and it's not, to me, it's not just about Julio. 
they join this group, uh, and you know we we can throw Josh Reynolds into this group with Racy McMath and and with Des Fitzpatrick, but the top two guys have this horsepower mentality. Like a thir- they're both thoroughbreds in the league, and there is no you know there's no rest for reaching a certain mark in your career. There's no you know. Uh, personal participation trophy for for making it a certain distance and certain goals and expectations. Well, I think it's a terrific spot to be if you're a young receiver to to be able to watch these two guys work. I mean, Racing McMath isn't isn't a guarantee to be on the roster. Racing McMath needs to be watching. I've heard good things about McMath. The, the special teamers first and foremost, because that's where his early impact or any chance to be dressed on game day. And you've seen him in person. I haven't. From. I, I've talked with people who have seen him multiple times now, and they, they've been impressed with what he's shown so far. Well, he can go. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't put Josh Reynolds in the same conversation. Josh, Josh Reynolds was a very good number three last year to Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup. And so now he's even in a better situation, you could argue, being a third to A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So ideal spot to be Josh Reynolds right now. Those other guys are fighting, it really impacts fighting him. for depth roles. Because he's going to get the third corner matchup. Yes, and he goes from being overextended to being in his proper place. Extended. He's going to get <laughs> not, overextended to just where, properly placed. What does it mean? It means just don't screw it up. Right. I mean, that's I think what it means for those guys, right? Like you can just go into a very minor well, role. Josh Reynolds' role will be clearly bigger than Josh those guys. Re- it should be bigger than what he did in L.A. Not only has he upgraded in the wide receiver room, he has upgraded in a massive way at quarterback. Yeah. Yes. And I also think, I mean, there's no way the Titans can play as much. I still think they'll play more too tight than we expect just because it's their nature. Yep. But they have to play the- more three wide now based on the talents of the people that we're talking about. And based on Taylor Lewan being back, so you don't need as much tight end help in the blocking scheme. Though right tackle, be it Kendall Lamb, Ty Sambrilo, who I don't think it will be, or Dylan Radens, who I think it should be and soon, that guy's going to need some help. But he only needs help from one guy. He doesn't need help from two guys. So I think they'll be too tight more often than we expect, but not nearly as much as as has been regular. What Josh Reynolds is going to help this team. I think Des Fitzpatrick has a chance to help this team at times, but there's only so many plays in a game, and the offense is still going to run through Derrick Henry, and there's going to be play action, and A.J. Brown is going to get his touches and his big plays. Julio Jones is now going to get his touches and big plays. Anthony Ferkser has a role to fill, the, to fill there where he can do something in this offense, and now he's not going to be forced to go outside of that role and do more than he's capable. But I look at those guys you brought up, Hutton, and start to think, for Josh Reynolds, it's great. I think he's going to have some very advantageous matchups now because of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and having to account for Derrick Henry. Uh, but the other guys, it's a, it's a comfortable, ease in, learn under, as you put it, and I think very well, old Julio, young Julio, in Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and sort of gradually be a part of the offense because unless the Titans are going to play a lot more fast pace with a lot more tempo, there's only so many plays in a game they're going to get to, and this is an offense that should continue to build upon being 
the team that scored more touchdowns than anyone in the NFL the and last Ryan two years. Ryan Tannehill talked about uh, using all the weapons to counterbalance each other. He got that from Jim Wyatt, who was at this uh, mystery, unadvertised charity event on Sunday night where Tannehill and A.J. Brown was. This charity, which I won't name, apparently didn't want a lot of people to come, uh, a lot of sports reporters to come to their event and give them a lot of volume when they had both A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill there. They could have had every sports reporter in town there had they publicized it better, um, touting their name in their event. But uh, counterbalance each other is a, is a sensible way to, to talk about it. Not surprising at all from Tannehill, right, in terms of uh, how they will view it. He didn't say, oh, my God, we got Julio Jones. We're going to throw a ton of balls to Julio Jones, which is not at all what you would expect uh, the Titans' mentality to be or how Ryan Tannehill would talk. I think it also um, – <clears throat> This is also a great room for Rob Moore, and he's done really. He's done a really nice job as the wide receivers coach, but you know he's he's got two guys, big, physical, gritty, not afraid to get their hands dirty, type receivers that they fit the brand, right? And Rob Moore has been a number one wideout in Arizona, so I, I I just think the mentality and the makeup of this group is really really good. I don't want to steal something from the Preds here, but they like to say vibing. You know, some, we're vibing right now. There's a vibe about this Titans offense. I mean, there there There's is a when, when to you it. play them, and it's not it's not just a swagger. It's a damn. These guys are tough to tackle. I mean, AJ Brown is tough to bring down when he gets the ball in his hands. We know about Derrick Henry. Julio Jones is a big, physical, tough guy. It's not just. A big offensive lineman mentality. There is a certain standard of play because of the physical size and strength of the offense that is a definite vibe to go up against if you're a defensive coordinator and if you're a player trying to tackle these guys. I was on with Sean Salisbury in uh, Houston this morning. He asked me what I thought was a pretty good question. You prefer the Titans with Corey Davis and Jonu Smith or just with Julio Jones? I don't think it's clear-cut, very fast answer. It wasn't for me. Well, they have a super it, – it's a super version. It's a Superman version of Corey Davis and Julio Jones. Agree. But so. it's a nothing at tight end compared to a guy who run over, could run over and run by people and would have been freed from a lot of the blocking obligations uh, to be out on a route. And you're talking about the physical – uh, big, tough thing. Johnny Smith, a big ingredient in in that. So this does a lot to make you forget about Johnny Smith, but the Titans really are, uh, uh, who have long been a tight end team, are very much not a tight end team right now, which is not a terrible thing. Like, you can go a different direction now and everything, but you still have to roll people out there at that spot, and the guys they have at that spot right now are not at all dynamic. I'll take Julio Jones with Anthony Ferkser appropriately playing his role as opposed to Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. I will take that. I think that's the facet of this that completes it. Because now Ferkser, I don't think, has to be asked to be fully Jonu Smith or to be the main tight end target for a team. I think that he fits. It's not a gimmick. But, I mean, you can do some things with him, and he can play his role similar to what they may ask Darrington Evans to do, where it's going to be, you know, a a little bit of everything. But he's a good pass-catching target that doesn't have to step out of his comfort zone now. 
Well, I still, would hope. They could still wait until camp and have a veteran tight end join them. Um, Cut the, the same way Clowney joined them. And I'm not saying the same level. I'm not the saying same, same money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Clowney joined them, what, September the 3rd or something last year? I mean, it was really late. I, I kind of see a veteran tight end doing the same thing. I that's on the market. It would still be ideal if they could do that. But they may not. And, uh, you know, I still think there's a little bit of difficulty with the swaim Ferkser thing yeah. in terms of telegraphing run yes, pass. Yes, yes. But, you know, Derrick Henry does a lot of running when everybody knows he's running. So maybe I overrate that a little bit. FanDuel.com with a great offer for new users. You can bet on UFC 263, FanDuel.com slash OK360. And great odds, 30 to 1 odds at UFC 263. That's this coming Saturday night. 30 to 1 odds on either Israel Adesanya or Marvin Vittori to win on Saturday. You bet to win, and you get either fighter at 30 to 1 odds. The max bet is $5, which means you can win 150 This is open through when the fight starts on Saturday for new users only. Adesanya, by the way, minus 275 is the favorite. He won the previous fight in 2018 by a split decision. So in the rematch, you can take out Asanya at 30 to 1 odds. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Just make an initial deposit of $10 to be eligible. Stick with us. Southkick 360 rolls on. Outkick 360 wrapping up what's been a very fast-paced show. Um, sad story. Jim Fossil passing away at the age of 71. And Paul, you, you go back a ways with him. Former NFL head coach. Jim Fossil was, um, we've talked about Shane Bowen and, uh, and the confusion with defensive coordinator with the Titans last year. There was a lot of confusion with the 1995 Oakland Raiders offensive coordinator. Mike White was the head coach, offensive guy. Joe Bugle, uh, the famous offensive line coach, was an influential coach on that team. And Fossil was uh, the de facto offensive coordinator. I think he had the title. But there was a lot of dispute about who was calling plays. I've told this story before. Nobody would come clean about who was calling plays. We all presumed it was Fossil, but nobody would ever say. And Mike White would say, like, make it like there was a consultation on each play between White and Bugle and Fossil. (laughs) Like like they had time for everybody to, to talk about what play was being called. And so there's a long-running joke among those of us that covered this team, which was a, a ridiculous thing because they trained in Oakland. I mean, they trained in, in Los Angeles. They played home games in Oakland. We traveled for 20 weeks in, in a row, and um, they were 8-2. and two. They needed to win one game to get in the playoffs. They finished 8-8 eight and eight in a year when Vince Evans did a lot of quarterbacking after Jeff Vince Hostetler, Evans. Jeff wow. Hostetler got hurt. We were all exhausted. It was Christmas Eve. They lost the last game to Denver. And to be honest, when that last interception got returned by Denver, a lot of us looked at each other in relief because we had just traveled, no playoffs. traveled so much and they were such a miserable bunch. He played at like three colleges, Jim Fossil. But So years later, we had... <laughs> at quarterback. He uh, made the transfer portal popular before it was popular. <laughs> we had Bruce Allen on, on our old show at uh, Radio Row at the Combine. Bruce Allen, who was with the with Washington football team, um, and and I got him to admit that he was he was the Al Davis's right hand man during those years with the Raiders, and he admitted that Fossil was in fact calling the plays for those Oakland Raiders. Fossil was a really nice guy, 
Uh, and that was a great experience for me that the first team I covered had Fossil and John Fox as the two coordinators, both of whom went on to great success. As and, and his I son, remember him fondly, and I'm sorry yeah, to hear yeah. that. His son John's also a really solid guy in yes. the league. Um, he's one of three head coaches for the New York Giants to lead them to a Super Bowl. Now, he didn't win. That was 34 to 7 loss to the Ravens. Yeah. I remember he put all his chips on the table during that season, which was a hell of a motivational thing that got that team flipped and going in the right direction because they were going nowhere. Quarterback in that game, one carry, Tom Collins, was the Giants quarterback that year. How about, so uh, his career, his college football career, he graduated from Anaheim High School. He went and played quarterback at Fullerton College, then USC, and then Long Beach State. I'm guessing Fullerton College is now Cal State Fullerton. Maybe Might just be. changed names yeah. at the time. I down lived in Southern down California. around there yeah. when I lived in Southern California. Great baseball Did some drinking program. at, at uh, some Fullerton bars. Nice. And he was a NFL draft pick. I mean, he, yeah. he was a seventh-round pick, so it's not like he bounced around because he wasn't good. Got to find the True right opportunity. football guy. As I, I just intrigued me, by that story. Yeah. His last year in the NFL was 2005, which is a long time ago. And then he was involved yeah. in a lot of the spring yeah. leagues that we It was like the XFL or something? Uh, XFL and recently something smaller and I, I don't remember. They all get scrambled together. Read your thoughts. This may win you some trivia. That's really what he jumped No, we want that. We want to see that's perfect. Perfect. Jacob did that on purpose. He did have purpose. That's the perfect angle. <laughs> I apologize for any small Speaking to that microphone. Um, this may win you a trivia uh, somewhere. <laughs> Jim Fossil was the last quarterback to throw a touchdown for the World Football League voted wow. back in 1975. What a playing career for Jim Fossil. I had no idea. He, yes, the two years that I was uh, fermenting in my, in my mom's <laughs> womb. <laughs> get, get nice and close to the mic. Jacob, show him how it's done. Jacob, yeah, mind. you show us how it's done. I mean, if people are going to hear what you're saying, you have to talk into the microphone. <laughs> Why do you find that so amusing? I love it. I, I just think it's hilarious. Uh, it's a spinal tapish feature of our show. It's great. <laughs> Speaking of hilarious, uh, the fascination with our viewers with my shoes. Yuppie Mullets in the YouTube chat. Great name. Says, um, my primary complaint, Chad Shoes. Then he goes on to say, this is actually a pretty funny line. Chad is really into how uniforms look, just not into how his own <laughs> uniform looks. <laughs> it's pretty good. Look, it's a free shirt. Wear jeans. Uh, it was given to me. I like this shirt fine. It's it's not the shirt that's bad. It's the collar. That collar looks like this. I don't understand your fascination. Oh, you're fine. It's um. It looks like an athletic polo shirt. Yeah, I don't. You're always weird with my collars. I don't. I don't <laughs> see it the way you. I don't know. You look great. Tell them after. <laughs> tell them after great. the show, sir. <laughs> I don't. Sarah, I'm going to do the debrief with Sarah today. So stick around for that hey. on Instagram. And I'll, I'll ask Sarah in the debrief what she thinks about my wardrobe. 360 parlay. That'll tonight. be the entire debrief. We are 76ers fans. Her debriefing my wardrobe. Go we are 76ers, 76ers fans. And we yes. need lots of offense in this matchup between the 76ers and the Hawks. We're thinking Dr. Big Jay. Tobias Harris Iverson. VFL Tobias Harris, who played one year in Knoxville. Big Tobias Harris guy tonight. Is he contributing? Oh, yeah. He's their star. Gentlemen. their stars. Fun show today. Back bit, uh, at it tomorrow as you... We leave you with the 360 parlay. Go to fanduel.com slash OK360. We will catch you tomorrow, which includes primary complaint. You can join us for primary complaint, 360 at outkick.com. Thanks to everyone for making the show happen. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, down the hall. Appreciate you, man. And uh, thanks to Sarah Triplett, our great production assistant. 
for David Reed, and for Jakob Swanson. Jakob, say goodbye to everyone. <laughs> we'll catch you tomorrow at Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. We beg of you, we implore you, do not block the box and be sure to lock those locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.